each FCPA case provides really important lessons in the mechanics of bribery schemes and the common techniques used by violators to secure funds and make illegal payments to foreign government officials. And they often act with such brazen disregard of the laws and some misguided belief or rationalization that they're not going to be discovered nor even investigated for their obvious graft. And this delusional or, you know, just weird set of perceptions underlies the actions of white collar criminals often and prevents them from any sort of self-regulation or even deterrence because they directly benefit from their misdeeds. Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkoff. Well, hello there. Thanks for joining us today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. And we have an interesting case to talk about. I call it the curious case of Asante Burko. And why did I find it so interesting? Well, imagine you settle a case with the SEC, FCPA case, an individual prosecution. You agree to pay them money. And two years later, you decide to fly from a particular country into London. And when you arrive in London at Heathrow Airport, you're arrested. And unsealed is a criminal indictment that had been lodged against you two years earlier. Mr. Burko suffered that fate. He thought he was home free and found that once he hit the West or hit London, he got arrested. So Talk about a reminder of the past or your past catching up with you. Asante Burko, the former executive director in Goldman Sachs, a former director, was arrested in London on criminal FCPA charges and now is going through extradition for his criminal FCPA charges relating to a bribery scheme that occurred in Ghana. Well, not only are the sort of surrounding circumstances important, but once you start to dig into the case, There's lots of lessons learned and how sort of Burko and his co-conspirators violated the law, but also circumvented all of the internal controls within Goldman Sachs. Eventually, Goldman Sachs discovered this and reported it to the federal government, to the Justice Department. So we have a two-year delay in his arrest. So go back in 2020, he was charged by the SEC for FCPA violations. Burko settled the case with the SEC by agreeing to pay $329,000 to the government. And his settlement didn't include a specific agreement with the truth of the allegations against him. It was one of the relics from the past. The SEC doesn't do this as much anymore, where it's no admit, no deny type of settlement. And unfortunately, he didn't know that in August of 2020, a criminal indictment was filed under seal in Brooklyn, New York shortly after filing of the SEC case. So November of 2022, Burko arrives in London at Heathrow Airport, and he gets arrested. The indictment was unsealed. He was charged in a six-count indictment with conspiring with two Ghanaian officials and four other individuals to benefit Goldman Sachs himself and a Turkish energy company, which is at the core of this, 
which was seeking a contract to build a power plant in Ghana. So Burko was a member of the Goldman Sachs team responsible for arranging financing for the power plant project. He orchestrated the payment of bribes to secure the necessary approvals for the Turkish company, and Goldman had a 16% ownership stake in the project. He was a vice president in Goldman Sachs Natural Resources Group before he resigned in December of 16. He then joined Ghana's state-owned oil company, Tema Oil Refinery, but resigned that position after the SEC enforcement action. As outlined in the indictment between 2014 and 2017, Burko orchestrated the bribery scheme to secure the electrical power contract for the Turkish energy company from the Ghanaian government. And specifically, they were trying to secure a power purchase agreement, a PPA or an emergency power agreement, EPA, with Ghana. And to secure the EPA, certain Ghanaian officials and entities, including a senior Ghanaian official, as well as the executive cabinet and parliament, had to approve the EPA. And it also required the approval of the Ghana Grid Company, the Electric Company, and the Public Utilities Commission, or the equivalent of it in Ghana. So they arranged to pay the bribes, Burko and his co-conspirators, and then they sought reimbursement from the Turkish Energy Company. And to secure such reimbursement, Burko and his co-conspirators submitted false invoices for consulting services allegedly provided by a Ghanaian consulting company, which were then paid by the Turkish Energy Company. The payments were made from a Turkish bank, but were routed through correspondent banks in the United States. So once the EPA was secured, Burko and his co-conspirators planned to arrange for continuing bribery payments from the Turkish energy company through a services contract between the Ghana consulting company. So in total, Burko and others paid more than $700,000 in bribes to pay several Ghanaian officials. And Goldman Sachs, as I mentioned, was expected to arrange $190 million in loans and provide a $75 million letter of credit. And Goldman Sachs, if the plan had gone through, was going to earn over $11 million in fees from the project while retaining a 16% ownership interest. So let's talk about the ins and outs, as I call it, of the Ghana bribery scheme. It's worth taking a, a moment here just to remember that each FCPA case provides really important lessons in the mechanics of bribery schemes and the common techniques used by violators to secure funds and make illegal payments to foreign government officials. And they often act with such brazen disregard of the laws and some misguided belief or rationalization that they're not going to be discovered nor even investigated for their obvious graft. And this delusional or, you know, just weird set of perceptions underlies the actions of white collar criminals often and prevents them from any sort of self-regulation or even deterrence because they directly benefit from their misdeeds. And the, in the Burko case, the facts outlined in the indictment present yet another example of this just total disregard for normative behavior. And I'll give you some examples in terms of like even some of the email comments that are made. I mean, it was just brazen and out there, as we say. So after arranging meetings in 2014, this whole thing started between the Turkish energy company and the Ghanaian government officials, Burko and his co-conspirators set out to secure the contract between the Turkish energy company and the Ghanaian government and to construct and operate this power plant in Ghana. 
And they reached an agreement around 2015. And a co-conspirator then emailed the defendant, being Burko, an invoice for $500,000 from a Ghana consulting company with payment instructions that routed the payment through a U.S. bank in New York to a Ghanaian bank. In the email, the co-conspirator referenced three future invoices of $1.5 million to be paid at upcoming milestones in the power project, that being the signing of the EPA, the finalization of the letter of credit, and the start of operations of the power plant. But Burko and and the co-conspirators discussed the issues in a series of emails, and co-conspirator number one wrote, and I'm going to read this to you, in an email, kindly arrange for the first $500,000 to be in Ghana this week. I'd advise you to send the same as directed to the relevant bank account. The attended recipient is on my case. Please make arrangements to have the $1.5 million also here in Ghana no later than end of this week or early part of the following. I'm going to part with $250,000 to the Ghana official number one on the basis that I will receive the same in due course. This will represent part payment to Ghana official number one as discussed. And it's almost just a pure, you know, innocuous business discussion, but what they're talking about are bribes. And so then on or about April 24th, 2015, with the help of the Ghana official number one, a team of approximately five Ghana officials traveled to Turkey to inspect the power equipment for the energy company and what they proposed to use in the power plant. Burko and co-conspirator number one paid the trip expenses for the five Ghana officials, flights, hotel rooms, and also paid them each a $5,000 bribe. Following the trip, the Ghana officials sent Ghana official one a favorable assessment of the equipment. Going on, a senior Ghana official signed the EPA on May 12, 2015. On the same date, co-conspirator number four emailed co-conspirator number one an invoice for $1.5 million from the Ghana consulting company that he referred to as invoice two and requested payment. Ten days later, $1.5 million was wired from the Turkish energy company to the Ghana consulting company through correspondent bank accounts in New York. On June 11, 2015, the Ghana consulting company wired $75,000 to Burko's personal account in Ghana. Then he transferred approximately $50,000 of that to an account he had in the United States. Later in 2015, the final contract was executed after meetings in London, and the parties agreed to pay Ghana consulting company $42 million in milestone and periodic payments. The final contract was executed by Turkish Energy Company and Ghana Consulting Company in September 2015. But before that, on August 17, 2015, co-conspirator one forwarded an email to co-conspirator two requesting payment of $250,000 in reimbursement for bribes previously paid to Ghanaian officials. And pursuant to Burko's instruction, co-conspirator one provided in an email a breakdown of all the bribery payments. And so here's a list that they put together. They then put it into an email. It was almost an invoice of bribery payment, a detailed invoice. So for example, let me go through what the payments included. Visas, $5,000. Pure, which is the Public Utility Commission, $20,000. Ghanaian official, $10,000. Ministry of Power, $20,000. 
Power Team, 25,000. Gridco, the electric company, 20,000. Travel to Turkey, which we mentioned, 45,000. Parliament, 30,000. And Asante Personal, 35,000. The parties then emailed each other negotiating and bickering sort of over these payments and the amounts. And after further discussions in explicit emails, co-conspirator number two agreed to settle the dispute by paying Burko approximately 140000 A payment was made then from the Turkish energy company to Burko's personal account. So the amount of documentation here and the evidence that the government pulled together is obviously quite strong. And it gives you just a sense of how brazen the program was. They didn't even really worry about controls, worry about what was going to happen in all of that. So now let's talk about how the scheme started to unravel. Because in the end, Goldman Sachs discovered this. And starting in June 2015, Goldman Sachs officials began to question Turkish Energy Company about the payments to the Ghana Consulting Company that appeared in their financial analysis. Co-conspirator number three explained that the consulting company was Turkish Energy Company's local partner. Thereafter, Goldman Sachs conducted a due diligence review of the transaction and various email accounts and communications, including personal accounts used by Burko and others for incriminating conversations. And that's interesting that Burko was requested to provide access to his personal emails and he did so. Even after Goldman Sachs launched this review, however, the Turkish energy company wired $194,000 in funds to Burko's personal account in Ghana. And in response to specific inquiries by Goldman Sachs compliance personnel as a due diligence follow-up, they you know, requested more information about what the local services were. Two co-conspirators then responded with a false explanation that the consulting company provided local services, in quotes, such as securing visas and car rentals. The co-conspirator stated that the consulting company had received 300000 for its services and expected an additional 200000 to 300000 later in 2016. When asked for additional information about this, co-conspirator number two responded in an email eventually, showing the frustration and revealing sort of an, an incriminating way quote, sorry, we don't have time for this, ellipses, dot, 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 close quote. As a result of the due diligence, as a result of this inquiry, Goldman Sachs withdrew from the energy project in Ghana, and Burko resigned from Goldman Sachs in early 2017. So the curious case of Asante Burko really is more and more curious as you look at it, he obviously is going through extradition. He'll be in the United States. He'll be arraigned in the Eastern District of New York. And it will be interesting to see what happens with this case. And we'll keep following it and let you know as it progresses. Thanks again for listening and stay in touch. And we'll see you next week with another episode of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to volkovlaw.com. 